Well, hello there, my international friend. It's time to talk about buyer's regret. Hey, friend. Welcome back to the Home Worth Having podcast. As you know, this is a podcast about how to create a home away from home. So whilst I usually talk about the belonging part, the emotional part of belonging and the work and the effort and the investment we have to put in in order to create that place of belonging for ourselves, let's talk today about purchasing stuff for our home. It doesn't matter really if you're a local and you've always lived where you live now or if you're an international who just moved. We all need stuff and we need to fill our home with things that are useful and things that are pretty. And yeah, sometimes we have too much and sometimes we don't have enough. And (laughs) what my clients come to me most often is the realization that whatever they buy or whatever they bought in the past never adds up into what they intended to create. So today's episode is really about regret, disappointment, and how to avoid it when you buy stuff for your home. What does it take to build a home? What does it take to build a home away from home? And what does it take to build a home away from home you cherish so much you would cry if you ever had to give it up? Bienvenue mon ami, I am Nick. I'm your resident interior designer, a serial expert living currently in my sixth country, and your humble host on this podcast that is all about creating homes that celebrate la joie de vivre. That means celebrating your joy off and your joy for life so that you'll have a place you truly feel you belong to. And this is season three. And this time around, I will be exploring everything concerning the topic of change because we are post-COVID-19. And it's safe to say, life has changed for all of us. And the question is, how have you lived through this massive phase of change? Let's talk about how we can make change work for us. I'll be examining it from all different angles because it's quite complex, n'est-ce pas? And as every season, I'll be inviting some kick-ass guests from all walks of life with all sorts of professional expertise and personal wisdom to tickle the best out of this topic. Okay, friend, if you've been on this podcast before, you know that my personal conviction is that less is more. But that is my personal conviction, and I'm not saying that is the right way to go. It surely is the rightest way for me, but I'm absolutely not against buying stuff. How much you shop, how often you shop, and how much you spend is nobody's business but yours. But the thing is that most people that come to me have this sense of regret or are really, really disappointed with how their home looks and then by extensions, how they feel in their space, right? There's some insufficiency. And today I want to help you avoid that. 
So before we talk about my tips on how to avoid impulse shopping, let's talk about what are actually disappointment and regret. If this was maths, there would be a formula, right? And A plus B equals C. And disappointment is our C. It's the result. It's the result of having bought something and being disappointed with what it actually does. Or should I be more precise, what it doesn't do in your home. So A and B are expectations and reality. You have certain expectations when you see a thing, it's really pretty, you imagine it to add that pizzazz, that bling, that wow factor to your home, but then you take it home and in reality, it doesn't do that. So disappointment is the negative difference between expectations and reality. Expectation A doesn't match reality B, which results in you ending up with C, the negative difference between what you expected it or hoped for and what it actually is. And then if if regret was the formula, then regret is the result of disappointment plus responsibility. Regret and disappointment, they feel the same. But the difference is regret has another, another element to it, right? While it's disappointment, you really hoped for, and then it didn't do that, is external, right? It has nothing to do with you, or very little. We don't take it personal. Disappointing is just disappointing. It's not nice, but it it doesn't reflect much of you. You can easily externalize and say, that's not my fault. It's just disappointing. Sometimes things are disappointing. That's just what happens. Regret, however, is always personal. Regret is when we see ourselves as the cause for our disappointed. When we know that it was our responsibility or that we had a conscious doing, right? Which is why it's not buyer's disappointment, it's buyer's regret. Because you were there and you made the conscious decision of buying something and... You got it face up. That was your responsibility of knowing what you what you are buying and knowing what you're investing in. And then you come home and then disappointment happens because it's the negative difference between expectations and reality. But you are an adult. <laughs> you should have known better, right? Regret always has this, I should have known better tag attached to it. So with regret, we always know that we are the cause and had a conscious hand in in this disappointment. So it's not an accident. Sometimes, if that happens too often, it can spiral into other feelings like guilt or shame. But, and what I always tell my clients, and what that surprises them, is usually that you're feeling this regret Not because you bought this thing and then it was disappointing. It is disappointing because you lack the courage to go really big. (laughs) So I don't want to make this too heavy here. But usually we end up buying things and the things that end up as junk. The too muchness of, of our homes. The too many belongings is because we've we've been thinking too small. We saw a really pretty vase and we brought that vase home, but one vase in one big room 
in one dining room or in one living room doesn't change the atmosphere. So the problem is not the vase. The problem is that you didn't realize that one vase doesn't cut it, right? That you were not courageous enough to make a big change, so you opted for the little change, and then all these little items, all this shit, <laughs> all those little shitty things that might be really pretty, that might have cost a lot of money, especially if you add them up, but it ends up as junk because it doesn't do anything to you. So does that help? Does this definition of regret and disappointment help? Because here and now, I want to go and show you the my tips on how to avoid bias regret. Are you ready? Let's go. So again, my personal philosophy is essentialism. And I really like to promote that idea of essentialism because it's basically the idea that you can adapt to whatever your current situation is. So essentialism is as little as possible, but as much as needed. And we all know that life comes in seasons and there are seasons where we do need less and then there are seasons where we need more. And essentialism leaves you that space, that adaptability, that flexibility to adjust quantity and quality of stuff, right? So it leaves you room to expand and to contract depending on what it is you need right now in your season. But the thing is also that if you want to get the best out of flexibility and adaptability, it means that you need to do the work to keep on checking whether what you have right now actually is the right amount, the right thing, the right whatever, if it's right for you right now. So when we say we practice essentialism, it also means in consequence that we practice checking back with ourselves what is enough, how much is enough, right? And then, of course, I am a designer. <laughs> I'm really at the core of all my being is design. And design is the art of making existing things better. So I like looking at a situation, looking at an experience, looking at a space, and then take it apart. What works and what doesn't work and where can we make it better? And ideally, how can we make it better in a very smart way? So with, you know, the least effort as possible, get as much out of it as possible. And the reason why right now, February is exactly the best time to talk about buying things when it comes to your home is simply the fact that at least in Europe, it's the time for furniture and decor sales. And that's because January was the month where all the big shops went to the different furniture fairs, checked out what the new trends are, and they filled up their stock with the new things that are to arrive soon, right? So they ordered in January, they will probably come around April, May, depends on the supplier, but that means that they will spend February and March 
wanting to make space in order for the new products to arrive, right? So how about we make sure that if you're tempted to make a bigger purchase when it comes to your home, to furniture and decor and maybe rearrange stuff, how do you make sure that what you're buying is actually worthwhile buying and not just new pretty stuff that will end up being junk because you simply don't use it or it simply doesn't fit or <laughs> you end up hiding it in a closet and then, well, it's for nothing. Since this is the Home of Having podcast, you know I like to have everything hands-on and very pragmatic tips. So I'm telling you up front, my number one tip in order to make sure you buy the right kind of stuff that you actually really need and it will actually make a difference in your home and make you feel better of what you have is have a concept. Knowing your design end game is the easiest way for you to avoid buying stuff that you don't need, buying stuff that you will be disappointed with or buying stuff that you will actually even regret having bought. Because if you know, if you have a vision of the wow, the big results you want to achieve, you just don't get tempted to buy other stuff that doesn't fit into your vision, into that concept that you have built for yourself. You can then say really confidently, you know what, this is really nice, but I don't need that. You can leave these things for other people to buy. So it's really the easiest way to resist impulse buying. But since we're already in the sales season, that means you will have to have that work done before, because it actually takes a lot of investigating and checking back with yourself if the things that you envision really get your heart rate and your pulse going and get you excited. So here's another thing I want you to be aware of when you go furniture shopping or when you go decor shopping. They, meaning the staff, meaning the companies, meaning the shops that are selling decor and furniture, they create scenarios. And if you walk into their shop, you buy into a story that they're telling you, right? Best example is always IKEA. They have that concept down to the perfection. They don't just create rooms or scenes. They create entire flats and lifestyles for you to discover and that you can walk through and that you can imagine yourself no wait you don't even have to imagine like you can experience yourself in that space that they created right so be aware that wherever you're going they're creating those scenarios and if you feel this tingle that oh I like that I want to buy that then ask yourself what is it that I like about this scene is it the ease of living? Is it the elegance, right? So naming what it is that turns you on is so helpful. But here's the thing. When you walk into one of these scenes, what it does to us is it creates this promise of how your life will change if you do these changes in your home. And that is actually a false promise. Right? Because it's actually just the look of your life. It's not life in itself, because life in itself is 
how you interact and the things that you do and not the things that you own. So let me recap. Tip number one was having a concept. Tip number two is be aware that this is, this is a scenario. And then 2B, let's call it 2B or 2.2 is that even though you walk into this scene, you probably end up just buying parts of it, right? You never buy the entire Ikea room that is in front of you. You buy an item or two because just an item or two are usually on sale. So be aware that buying one item will rarely make a difference. And again, <laughs> coming back to point number one, checking if that one item will actually make a difference is when you have that concept. You have a visual concept of how you want your home to look like. You have a shopping list. And then once you have all that, you can check back with your list. Is it an item that resembles one of the items on my list? Does it have to be exactly that item from the list? Or is it just similar enough? And similar enough can be enough. And if it is, then you can buy and you probably won't feel regret or disappointment. But if it's not on your list or it doesn't look anything like the thing on your list, still might be pretty, but not what you told yourself and promised yourself you will create, then you will buy it and you will feel disappointed and you will feel regret for having bought it. And then let's get to point number three. The reason why this item is on sale is most likely because they have too much on stock, right? So the buyer for this shop bought more than anticipated. They have shopping data from what people bought before. So they have all kinds of data, but obviously they bought too much and it didn't sell, which is why they you know, want to make space and are giving it away for less. Now that is as such not a bad thing because <laughs> it just means that less people have this thing. So it might actually be a good thing, right? You might be buying something other people haven't bought before and that might be a uniqueness point. So that might be great for you. Not as many people will have this item. But point B, 3B, is that more likely than not, this item is on sale because it doesn't fit with what has been bought for the coming season or the coming seasons. So it doesn't fit into their predictions of what is the new hot thing. Again, you can make that work in your favor because you can say, I'm not a trend person. I don't want to be the one who is always chasing trends and chasing novelty. So that can work for you. But the thing is, what you also have to consider in that case is, if it is an item that will be paired with something else, which if you anticipate to build a designed home, it always comes in context with the other things that you want to put in that space. Maybe you won't get these other things. Just an example. So for the last two, three years, curved couches, curved sofas have been really in trend and they will be for still a while to go. But let's fast forward five years and you see a curved sofa and you think like, oh, I've seen it so often. It's so nice. All my friends have it or, you know, 
you finally got around to the idea of owning a curved couch and you buy it because it's on sale. And with that curved couch, you want other furniture, let's say armchairs or tables or whatever that fit into that style, right? Where the one form follows the other forms and it all looks cohesive. If your style is cohesiveness, with which most styles are, they built on cohesiveness, then it might be really hard to get those other things because they might be not in, you know, sold in the future. That trend is over. Again, can work in your favor. I'm not saying you have to follow trends, but that's how usually people make buying decisions, right? There's a trend, it's hip. Some people start with it and then other people follow through before it becomes mainstream. But usually when it's on sale, then it's about to go out of mainstream. Does that make sense? All right. So it might be hard to combine this with future purchases. Again, having a concept will prevent you from having to think about all this. Yeah, because you know already what you're going to buy and what you need. So it will give you that reassurance that you're on the right path. Because style, taste, and liking, those are highly personal, how do you call that? Let's say parameters of how we measure what we want in our home. So it has to be on the one side level-headed, and on the other hand, it still has to be heart-led. So you need to follow your desire of achieving a certain look or achieving a certain feeling in your home, but you need to make level-headed decisions so you don't fall into disappointment and regret. But let's go to my last point. The best tip that I can give you in order to make this level-headed decision is actually understanding the difference between value, worth, and price. Now, you might be thinking like, wait a second, I know the difference. But if I asked you, can you, could you really truly tell me what the difference between value, worth, and price are? Because sometimes people use them interchangeably and they are not the same thing. There is an interdependency between them, but they are not the same thing. So here's the thing. Value is something that is set by many. It is set by other people. It is set by the group. It is set by society. It is set by an era and time. Value is a rough estimation. There are a lot of people involved in it, and it's really hard to say who they are, right? Value is set by them, but who are them? Who are they? It's really hard to say. So trends in design are an example for what is being valued by many people. Trends are what resonates with a lot of people, and so value is not set by you. Another example would be the value of, let's say, gold. The value of gold fluctuates. Not much, but it does. And you know that, let's say, 10 grams of gold might be estimated to have a value of X today, and in 10 years it will be Y, or X plus 
y or x minus y, whatever, right? There is a certain amount to it. But who really sets the value of gold? Nobody can really tell, right? Political popularity, that is something that is an example for value. Societal values that are trending are also values like, you know, Fridays for Future. It's the youth. It's a whole generation valuing sustainability and wanting to do something for it. So, again, nobody can really tell where it came from. There's too many parameters, right? There is uh, climate change. There is so many phenomenons that come together that people then bundle under this term sustainability, And if it's worth the effort fighting for by enough of people, enough of days and thems, then it becomes a movement. Which brings me to price. Price always follows value. Whatever is being valued by many will automatically have a higher price. It's the whole demand and how you call it? <laughs> I'm sorry, my English is leaving me. Angebot. Um, so it's demand and offer. Right. In German, it's Nachfrage und Angebot. So it's demand and offer. The more people demand a certain thing, the higher the price. So if more people want gold, the price of gold will rise. If more people need cars and petrol, the price will rise, right? The more people want curved couches, the more curved couches will be seen and they will sell for more than square-shaped couches. (laughs) Makes sense, right? So price is set by one person or one company or one entity And it follows value, what the many want, what the many value, the higher the price. The less people demand something, the lower the price will be. But price is set by somebody else. And unless you're the seller, it's not you, right? If you're the buyer, then the price is set by somebody else. So value is set by the many. Price is set by one person or one entity, like one company, And that brings us to worth, because worth is the only thing that you define for yourself. Worth is the only thing you have any control over. You decide if owning a gold necklace is worth the money spending on it. You're the one deciding if curved couches are something for you and if it's worth exchanging your hard-earned money and with that the time you spend working for that money if that's worth spending on that curved couch so the next time you go shopping be aware about those three value worth and price i'm not saying follow value i'm not saying follow the money and what they say is now a trend or should be had or is of importance I'm not saying that, just be aware. And then if the item is on sale, maybe that's because the value of the thing is actually on the declining side of the curve. Again, 
doesn't have to be a bad thing because if it's still worth to you, that's great for you. You can get something that you care about for less and then it's a good purchase because then you come home and you're happy with it, right? But if you decided that something that is being valued by the many, like a trend, for example, is something that you value as well, if you consider yourself one of the many, decide why you're buying this. Are you buying this to belong to the group of the many? Or is it like, yeah, (laughs) it's no different between intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation, right? So is it something that you really want? Or is it like a secondary thing because you want to belong or you want to fit in and you want to be seen as part of the group? And that's why you're buying this thing, because it makes you visibly part of the group of curved couch lovers. (laughs) Now, for some, this might sound totally ridiculous, right? The curved couch lovers. But if you're into design and you're following on Pinterest and Instagram, I mean... All these platforms, they only work because of trending and being part of a certain group that has a certain reputation, right? So again, I understand. I understand if you want to be part and fit in and make life easier because through buying certain things, you establish whatever it is that you want to establish, Whatever floats your boat, that is worth buying. And that's what it's all about, a home worth having. What are you willing to invest? Worth is equal your willingness to invest, your willingness to spend, to spend time, to spend money, to spend effort. Sometimes you don't have the money, so you spend more effort because you're willing to wait longer and save your money for that thing, or you're willing to do it yourself and not spend money on a brand, but create it yourself. But worth is always your willingness to invest. And that is it. I hope it helped. Should I recap? I probably should. So (laughs) have a concept. Nothing beats a concept. If you want to avoid buyer's regret or disappointment, have a concept. Know what you like. Know which item fits there. What are the colors, the shapes, the sizes? And then see if that item that is on sale right now fits into your category. Because if it doesn't, then you're not going to buy it. Or if you have a list and you still want to buy it, even though it's not your list, you can ask yourself why that is, right? It tells you just something about yourself. So a concept is the best thing to have if you want to avoid bias regret. Then you need to be aware of the scenarios that they create. What story are you buying in here? Even if you don't have a concept for yourself, that's when you have to be even more aware that shopping centers and furniture stores, they're storytellers. Home is a story you tell yourself about life. And if you're tempted to buy something, then ask yourself, what story are you buying into here? And then the third reason to stay level-headed in this decision is be aware what, what's the reason why this thing is on sale. Is it on sale because it might have been just bought too much? 
Or is it something that people don't like that much? They, the masses, the others didn't like. And that's why they're selling it. And that might be great for you. Because if you still like it, great. A, you have a rare thing that not so many people have. And B, you just got it for cheap. Great. Yeah, just be aware, right? But then also be aware that if it is one item off your list or you can see it combining with other things that you do not own yet, things that you don't already have at home, it might be on sale because that is the trend that is you know, about to leave, about to exit. And thus, you either hurry up and buy the other items as well to match, to create cohesion, or it might be really hard. So rethink about that, right? So if you're a level-headed person arguing with reason, that's the thing. And the last tip was just be aware about value, worth, and price. Is the price of the thing worth it to you personally? Or is it something that because it's trending, because a lot of other people think is worth spending time, is the price matching the value of the thing? And the value is always set by others. And that's actually a really bad question to ask. So you should be asking, the thing has a certain value to whatever reason, But as a buyer, you shouldn't care about the value of the thing, unless it's, of course, an investment like gold or something. I'm not, we're talking here decor and furniture, right? Uh, For your home, this is an interior design topic. So you don't want to go with value. You don't want to ask if the price matches the value of the thing. You want to ask, does the price match what it's worth to me? And that is it. This is it for me today. And I honestly have no clue what we're talking about (laughs) next week. I have not decided which of my episodes is airing next week, but that doesn't matter, right? I hope this episode provided value to you. It was, I hope it was worth listening. And if it was worth listening then you might want to consider that it might have the value for them as well. And by them this time, (laughs) I mean your friends and the people you care about. And I would really appreciate if you share this episode. Share it on social media, just link. Or you know what? Just in one person that you think really needs this right now. Okay, my friend, this is it. C'est moi, au revoir, à bientôt, and until next week, Nicole